at least to him, being a citizen of this country. But Father, being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, he's just going amongst brethren. And so, Father, I just pray that you would reveal to him, Lord, what you desire to reveal. I pray that you would watch over and protect him, both physically, spiritually, but also, Lord, um, just that he would not get sick or, or anything along those lines as well. So, Father, I lift him to you and pray that he would travel well and glorify you through this trip, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, bro. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be picking up at verse 1. We'll be reading to verse 3, but we'll never get there. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, now keep in mind what the therefore is, therefore, because of chapter 11 and those who held fast to faith, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Father, I pray that that would be far from us, that we would not be a people discouraged, but we would be a people pushing forward. And so, Lord, as we see this example of an athletic contest, I pray, Father, that you would equate it to our Christian lives and we would see the necessity of just being found faithful throughout the course of our lifetime, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. In the Bible, and specifically the Apostle Paul The example of an athlete in an athletic event is used to illustrate a Christian's life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And what Paul's looking at there is the necessity to enter in and to compete. Nowhere does it say, come in first place. Nowhere does it say, beat somebody else. It's just to enter into the race and to run. And and to not to sit on the sidelines any longer, but enter into the fray. Now, in order to compete on an elite level, well, the athlete, he must be a finely tuned competitor. Diet and fitness routine are year-round. It never stops. To my surprise, that's entered into the high school athletics as well as my daughter played varsity basketball, and it was a year-round thing. Secondly, you must know your sport and and the competition to a minute detail, seeking every possible advantage because you know that your competition is doing so as well. Thirdly, you must have the mental fortitude to know that in a close contest, the one who has the greater will to prevail will be the one who prevails. And so I need to equate that to my Christian life. Diet and fitness routine. Am I staying strong in the Word of God? Am I prepared when given the opportunity? Secondly, I must know my sport, and we'll look at this in a little bit. I must understand who truly the competition is. And then thirdly, I must have that mental fortitude for when it gets hard, for when it gets tough, to continue to push forward, not understanding the end result, but knowing that if God is for me, nobody can be against me. Now, Michael Phelps, 
in the 2008 uh, Olympics, his margin of error, his margin, I should say, of victory, I guess, was very minute. So just the things I talked about played a big part in him being able to gain a gold medal. 2.32 seconds was the margin of victory for Phelps in the 400 individual medley. 1.89 seconds was the margin of victory for Phelps in the 200-meter freestyle. 7.18 seconds was the combined margin of victory for Phelps in his five individual events. 0.01 second was the margin of victory for Phelps in the 100-meter butterfly where he touched out Mike Kavik by literally a fingernail. 0.01 second was the margin of victory. All those times when he got up early in the morning, all those times when he jumped in the pool and didn't really feel like jumping in the pool, all those times in the weight room, and I don't know how a swimmer, swimmer trains, but I do know they do train, it was all geared towards, all funneled towards 0.01 second, the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal. So considering all that's involved, would you give up your life for an Olympic medal, for a World Series ring, or to put it in context of today, a Super Bowl trophy? All of those people have. They've sacrificed the majority of their lives and opportunities within their lives for the purpose of winning, well, fame, riches, records, but really what it boils down to? Trinkets. Just simple trinkets. I remember one day we were living in La Habra. I came home from work, and I don't remember why, but I was looking for my high school football trophy. I couldn't find it. And I looked, and I searched, and finally I asked my wife, hey, have you seen my high school football trophy? And she goes, yeah, I threw it out a couple months ago. Like, that represented all my hard work and my glory, and it was thrown into the trash can? If all of your hard work and glory is all tied up in a trinket, how disappointing your life must be. Now, the people of chapter 11, the idea here is in the illustration being used, they all competed without seeing the prize. We've got such a great advantage. We understand Messiah and who Messiah is. We understand because of grace, the end of the race, it, it ends at that great reward that we have stored up for us. But the examples that we just saw in Hebrews chapter 11, they competed without knowing what the prize was. Imagine entering into an event without knowing what you would win or really even where the finish line was. You just know that somebody told you when the gun goes off, start running, we'll tell you when to stop. Well, as funny as that is, that's exactly what happened to those Old Testament saints. In verse 39 of the previous chapter, it says, And these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They weren't around when Jesus Christ came. They gave up everything they had for that opportunity to compete without the knowledge of exactly what the ending was. It was just simply God said, so they did. As far as our participation, again, we have an advantage. Look at verse 40 of the previous chapter. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And the idea is these people of chapter 11 exercise such great faith, how much more so should we be doing so? 
because, again, we understand better the plan of God. We see the timing of God, and we understand the will of God. We need to be diligent about, well, about competing in this contest. We have seen the prize, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he was crucified for us. And whether a saint of the Old Testament or the New Testament, we all wear the same uniform. We're all on the same team. So as I said before, chapter 12, verse 1, starts out with the therefore. It's because God rewards those who compete or brings to salvation those who hold fast to faith. A Christian, a Christian, because God does that, has to enter into the competition. You have to enter into the competition, and it's going to demand, it's going to demand your life of you. And when I say that, it's not so much that you're going to die, because you're going to die anyway. It's going to demand, well, what it's going to demand is you taking up your cross and following Jesus. You take up your cross and live your life as Christ has commanded you to live your life. Once more, the Christ, uh, sorry, the cross that Christ carried was the place where my sins were nailed to. The cross that I am to carry is the place where my flesh is to be nailed to. My wants, my desires, my hopes, and my aspirations, I crucify them all for the will of God. And so that being the case, once again, we come to a section of Scripture that we have to examine ourselves. Therefore, since all of these people were found faithful in what God had called them to do, they were diligent in the ministry that God has given them. Are we doing the same? As they were willing to enter in, as God called, am I willing to enter in as well? What we're going to see for the next couple of weeks is six things that define the competition that we are to be competing in. Before we start, as I stated before, in any competition, you have to know your opponent. You have to know your opponent. A boxing match, we'll just use that. A boxer must know his opponent. He must know how he goes on the offensive because he has to present a good defense. But a good defense isn't good enough. It's not just not getting punched. It's also defeating your opponent. And so not only does he have to know how to defend against that particular opponent, because every, every opponent is going to have little different nuances about him, he also has to know where the weaknesses of his defense are so that he's able to go on the offensive as well. And so we've got to know about our opponent. And I remember somebody told me we should just never talk about the devil. And I'm just thinking, well, that's foolishness. We have to know who we're fighting if you don't know who you're fighting and you don't know his strengths and his weaknesses, you're destined for defeat. And so your opponent, I'll tell you starting out who your opponent is not. And this is very important. Your opponent is not your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your opponent does not sit in this room today. Your opponent is not even unbelievers. They are not your opponents. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 says... Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And he goes on to tell us that we wrestle against, wrestle against the powers and principalities of this age. And speaking of Satan and his demons. But unfortunately, what is the church doing? The church is sitting there fighting amongst themselves. They're wrestling amongst one another over doctrinal, now not non-essential doctrinal issues. 
They're wrestling over what he said or she said or whatever those things. And what it's doing is it's detracting from the ministry. And the devil, for the most part, is sitting there and saying, I don't have to enter into the competition because they're beating each other up. I was watching a baseball game. This was years ago. And all of a sudden, the announcers kind of got all excited about something and a camera moved over to a dugout. And two players on the same team were fighting in the dugout. And just how ridiculous that is for their common cause. And how much more ridiculous is it when we see division in the body of Christ? We're not running in the race because we have decided that we're going to duke it out with one another. If you are wrestling against the flesh and blood, against flesh and blood, and I'm talking about one another, you should wrestle against your own, you're not competing in a God-sanctioned event. Your efforts will be stricken from the books and you will be stripped of your rewards because you have not been found faithful in what God has called you to do. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, he who loves his brother, now when it says loves his brother, that's agape love. That's loving when you don't really want to and you don't feel like it and you don't think that they deserve it. Because look how God loved you. God loved you even though you were undeserving of that great love with which he loved you. And so he who loves his brother abides in the light. Now the light to the Jewish mind is the presence of God. And so he who sacrificially loves his brother, fellow believer in the body of Christ, he abides in the presence of God. God's face shines upon him. And there is no cause for stumbling in him, but he who hates his brother. Now when it says hate, the idea is, is doesn't sacrificially love him. We'll think of this as, okay, well there's benign, there's love, and there's hate. No, there's love And if you're not loving him sacrificially, then the idea is you are hating him in the flesh. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, that's godless, and walks in darkness or lives his life apart from God and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And as in this thing and so many others, this isn't so much a salvation issue. See, the salvation issue is based upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do I know that I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to see a change in my life. It's no longer going to be Mike-centered, but it's going to be Christ-centered. My desires are no longer going to be for self, but it's going to be for others. That's why the greatest commandment is to love God. And those who love God will love others as we love ourselves. And as I said so many other times, I don't have to love myself. Why? Because i got a church full of people that is loving me. And really what I need to do is enter in with the congregation and love the rest of the congregation so that we're strong. We're firing on all cylinders, if you will, that when there's a weak part, when there's a sick part, they're being built up and they're being strengthened in the body of Christ so that Calvary Chapel, Ontario, so that the church as a whole can be all that God desires for it to be. What we do wrestle with is that which causes held fast faith to slip away. We do wrestle against our flesh. Because our flesh, our flesh is wanting us to constantly give in to what the body desires. We, we wrestle against the world. Because the world, well, that's an obstacle to the things of God. Now, when I say world in this context, world is used that which is in opposition to God. And we see worldliness reflected throughout our society today in abortion. and Well, you can just simply go down the list. So we do wrestle against flesh. We do wrestle against the world. Now it's my flesh and worldliness as it affects me and the devil as he seeks to trip me up. Now again, 
the day that you were saved, the devil lost you. You're God's. You're a child of God through faith in Jesus. But the next best thing in his mind, reading through the scriptures, is to render you ineffective. And we should all know what that means. Maybe you haven't experienced that yourself, but have you known a pastor you just thought was a great guy? And you were able to receive from him, and, and, and he just made the scriptures so clear, and this guy was just anointed, and then you found out about the affair, or, or fill in the blank, whatever it might be. And what had happened is, some point, that person, he stopped wrestling against the flesh and the world, and the devil got the better of him and rendered him ineffective, and so that his ministry is no more, and great was his fall. And so I have to be of the mindset and how this all works. I've got to enter in, and I have to be proactive in my Christian life. And so the first thing that this competition involves is, well, first thing is, is the sport itself. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And with a race, that tells me there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And each one of those segments is equally important. I have to start off well, because I've seen so many people in Christianity, they never started. And if you never started, then you're not going to do the middle or the end. So the start is very important. But the middle is just as important. If you drop out in the middle, then what difference does it make if you started or not? It makes absolutely no difference. And how about the end, reaching forward to the prize? If you don't reach forward, if you give up at the end, then the beginning and the middle, they, they make no difference. So all of these things, they fit together, and we must equate them to our Christian lives. The beginning and the day I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but throughout the middle to continue to endure in the Christian life, hoping and pr- not hoping, but praying that I'm a person that finishes well. Every sport that I've ever competed in, and I, I really enjoy competition, you reach that line of victory or defeat. There's that line, that, that line when it gets really hard, it gets very difficult. It's that line when you know you've come to it because your body hurts and your muscles strain and you're just simply exhausted and the person that has the greater mental attitude about it is going to be able to push through that line. It's the line where the majority of the people quit and go home. But there came that point, if you're going to get the prize, you had to push forward. Even though you were hurting, you set aside all of that simply because of the excitement of finishing and achieving what you have set out and you have worked so hard for. It's the line that defeated, the defeated never cross. It's the line that the victorious push past. This is the desired place of the competitor. It's the line that Peter pushed past and 3,000, well, actually 5,000 souls got saved. It's the same one that Jeremiah prevailed in. It was his own heart and that he decided in the middle of the race, we saw this a couple weeks ago, I give up. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's listening to me. And I just see absolutely no fruit from this ministry. No longer am I going to be a prophet. No longer am I going to speak God's word. But then he said, I couldn't do it. It was like a burning within my chest. And and because it burned within him, he continued to do so. I would imagine everybody that has ever won an Olympic medal or trophy or whatever, at any kind of level, at some point thought about giving up. Some point thought about quitting. 
some point thought about, well, getting up in the morning and running five miles just is not worth it. But they poof past that. My wife and I, we work out a couple times a, a week. Um, at lunchtime, I usually walk over to Kaiser and walk up and down their steps in their parking structure three times just because I sit a lot and I want to keep active. And it's just about every time. See, I'm not a morning person, as I pointed out like a million times here. But she, she gets up at 4, so at 6 o'clock, let's go, let's go. We're going to go to the gym. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. And I'm like, get out of my face. I don't, and I drag myself out of bed, and I drag myself to the gym. And I know it doesn't really look like I do, but nonetheless, you do so because you want to achieve a goal. I, I want to be able to continue to compete. I, I don't want to have to sit on the sideline because I, I, I wasn't faithful and because I, whatever reason, I no longer physically could. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Now he says here, now this is a worldly race, but he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And again, He's not saying that you're going to have victory based upon how man defines victory. You're going to have victory based upon how God defines victory. And God-defined victory just simply says, run. Run with all of your passion. Run with all of your desire. Run understanding who it is that you are running for. And when I say run, involvement in what God has called you involvement in what God has commanded you to do. So as the sport is a race, verse 1, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A couple things here. First, if you're not running, you're slipping away and you need to get back in the game. That's the good thing about this race is you can always plug back in. Far be it that you were not known as somebody who did so well at one point, such as a Demas in the scripture, but gave up. How many people here remember Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran? Anybody see the fights there? What, what's the legacy of Roberto Duran? Somebody just say it. No moss. It's in the middle of the fight, and, and they're, they're going at it. Then all of a sudden he backs off and says, no moss. He, he gave up. He quit. And, and when you mention Roberto Duran's name today, not that really anybody does, but the first thing that comes to my mind is no moss. The guy gave up. The guy quit. For some reason, in the middle of it, it got hard. And when it got hard, he wasn't willing to push through. Don't tell him I said that because he'll come and he could probably beat me up. But it's that old saying, quitters never win and winners never quit. What's to be your legacy? Secondly, if you are running, if you're holding fast to faith, never give up. Because saving faith is enduring faith. Now, I want you to look at this example because I think this picture, this is a pit, perfect picture of the church today. Now, imagine the Olympics. You're coming to the 100-meter race. The 100-meter race determines who the uh, fastest human being on the planet is at that point. There's eight people who are involved in the race. They've done their preliminaries, and so the idea is we now have the fastest eight people on this planet and they are going to compete to see who the fastest is so you're there and you're excited and boom the gun goes off two out of eight guys they give it their all they're pushing and they're moving and they're straining for the finish line with everything they have 
Have you ever seen that face on camera on these guys and their muscles and they're just pushing and they're just giving because this is what they've worked for. Those two did very well. Two others, they start out just as the others started out and they're pushing, but halfway, they give up. It got hard. It got hard. And that person over there in the stands, they were booing at me. So you know what? I've had it. I'm not finishing. Thirdly, another two, they start off, but they start off walking, and then one guy notices the javelin, and he kind of just wanders over there. The next guy, he sees the snack shack, and he decides he wants a hot dog. And it's like, where did they go? What happened? But how many times have you said that in the body of Christ? Where did they go? What happened? They wandered off. Yeah, they started so well. Well, no, they didn't start all all that well, and they started off just kind of walking rather than running, and they just wandered off. And then the last two, the gun goes off, they get scared, and they duck and cover. And you just see them just coiled up there at the starting line, and you're saying, come on, get up and run! But they they don't. They just, just stay there. And again, we see this dynamic in the body of Christ, but there's one more element here. There's one more element, and maybe this applies more to most of us than the other ones do. There are the people sitting in the stands. You'll see that at the Super Bowl. There'll be the people sitting in the stands. They can be a little overweight. They haven't gotten up and ran in years. They don't exercise whatsoever. They've got the uniform. They got the uniform of their perfect team, but they're up there booing and they're yelling. They're telling those guys that are competing exactly what they want to do or what they should be doing or at least what they think they should be doing. Now, the thing about the guys who will look at the worst-case scenario, they were out there, they went through all the preliminary heats, the gun went off, and they got scared, and they ducked and covered, and they're kind of sitting there in the fetal position at the, at the beginning. But at least they went out there. I mean, in comparable to the people who are just sitting in the stands and criticizing. And that can be such an easy thing to do. I remember a point in my Christian life, I'd be sitting there, and I'd be kind of critiquing the guy who was up at the pulpit speaking. And then I became the guy up at the pulpit speaking. And I realized how, how foolish that is. You, you think you know better? You get up and you do four Bible studies a week. And let's see how well you do every time that you're behind that pulpit. I remember one time I, get, I was up here and I just didn't feel like it went well. And I just wanted to slither out of here really quick. And I, I talked to my wife and I said, man, that didn't go real well. Now, that time I remember she didn't say, yeah, it did. She just said, yeah. (laughs) But then she said something that was very profound. She says, you can't hit a home run. I don't remember if she used that terminology, but you can't hit a home run every single time. There's going to be times when you strike out. There's going to be times when you just get a single, triple, double, whatever it might be. But the thing about it is, is you just simply don't quit. You don't quit. You stay in the competition and you continue to push forward. Understanding the times when I mess up, the mistakes that I made, the times when I feel defeated, it's all learning experience for the next time so that the next time I'll be able to prevail. And so the worst to be are the people who don't compete but the people who complain sitting in the stands. Now, if you look closely at this sport here in verse 1, it is called a race. The Greek word is agon. It's where we get our word for agony. An agony. Agony and that you're to give all and you are to expend that energy. In Amos chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion 
and trust in Mount Samaria. You become caught up in just the routine of life and the routine of serving the Lord that you're no longer focused, you're no longer putting forth the energy. We are to agonize with endurance. This is to possess a steady determination to keep going, not just to run, but to run well. To run well, to run with all of our hearts, all of our abilities, and all of our desire that we would be able to present a well-ran race to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, during the Civil War, things weren't going well for Abraham Lincoln. The South continued to prevail time after time after time. And then there were the times that it seems like the American army, the, the, the northern army, they were going in a good direction, but then all of a sudden his generals would just stop. And sometimes they would turn around and they would leave. And Lincoln was just so frustrated. He would go out on the battlefield and he would tell his general, why are you sitting here? Attack. And still they wouldn't. And so after Gettysburg, he was just disgusted with the general at the time, whose name just escapes me at this moment. Frank. Where's Frank when you need him? Um, And so... Who? Oh. Anyway, he... uh, Man, I know that name too. Uh... He was just discussed with him, and he demoted him, and he got Grant. Because Grant was in the Western Theater. There were two fronts, the Western Front and the Eastern Front, and Grant was prevailing. Grant was pushing forward. And so he brought Grant in and put Grant over the Army of the Potomac, the whole Northern Army, basically. Now, there was a lot of criticism directed at him, because Grant was not a great tactician. He wasn't a good strategist, and he wasn't as smart as some, And then there was some alcohol issue that was never proven, but it was a constant, um, it it was a constant uh, issue with him, his drinking. But Lincoln's response every time his decision for Grant was criticized is, the man fights. The man fights. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stay. In the face of competition, he moves forward. And so there was the whole winter time, and during those times, you didn't really fight during the winter because of the weather and everything. And so there's across, I think it was the Potomac, across one side of the Potomac, there's General Lee and his army, and there's Grant on the other side, and Richmond was probably, I don't remember exactly, but like 30 miles south of that. That was the capital of the Confederacy. And so Grant was planning and he was preparing for all of that and he noticed the theme with his subordinates these were the people who had fought in general lee for for years and they were always afraid of what lee was going to do and he came in just disgusted one time because all of the plans were defensive plans and he wanted to go on the offense and he says gentlemen i no longer want you to be afraid of what general lee is going to do to you i want you to make general lee afraid of what you're going to do to him and so you think okay this is going to end really well And so springtime came, it's time to go to war. He puts his troops on the other side. He attacks the South, almost defeated him. But then because of a series of events, they were able to turn back and it was a stalemate once more. Matter of fact, it was just so close, it said that General Grant went into his tent and cried just because of the loss of life and just how close they came. And then one of his aides came in and says, what do you want us to do? And he says, I want you to march him east because east was going to be this fork in the road where, as they took it so many times, there was a way that went up back to north, an easy crossing of the, of the Potomac. So they started going, but Grant put one of his officers there at that fork. And as the men started headed in that direction, he redirected them and said, no, Richmond is that way. And for the next two years, they headed south. 
and the majority of the battles, they lost, or there was a stalemate. Because for an army of that time to assault a fortified position, which was what Lee kept doing, it was a really difficult thing to do. And so there was defeats, and there was the death, and there was just being out on the battlefield and the embarrassment and all of it, but Grant never stopped. Grant never quit. And guess who was the one who emerged victorious? Was the one who never stopped. And how much more so in our Christian faith. Victory goes to the one who remains faithful, who endures to the end. One who never stops. The second thing that this competition involves is support. Again, the example of those who have gone before us. And again, we've spent the last couple of months, but I will go back through it really quickly. Verse 1, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. So great a cloud of support. Abel stayed strong in his faith and his worship of the Lord. Enoch stayed strong in that he walked with God. Noah stayed strong when God told him to build an ark, he built an ark. Abraham stayed strong in the faith when God told him to go, he went. And when God pointed at something very dear in his life, he gave it over to the Lord. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph stayed strong in the faith. We see it reflected in the days of their death. Moses, a man, he decided not to walk in the ways of the world, but to seek out the spiritual, forsaking Egypt for a relationship with God and his people. Joshua and Rahab are those who followed, exhibiting Christian courage throughout their lives because they based what they did upon God's word. The third thing, this is why we're going to stop, because we're not going to get to six, but the third thing that this competition involves in is the sport, the support, but also that which could thwart. Kind of corny, but that's the only one I could rhyme with sport and support. Verse 1, what is it that could thwart us in this race? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The thing that is death to a racer is weight. Have you ever seen a horse race and the jockey? Jockeys, you know, they're that big. They probably weigh, you know, close to 100 pounds soaking wet. Have you ever seen Shaquille O'Neal riding a horse? I don't think the horse would, I don't think he'd agree with him on his back. What is it that causes us to bog down in the midst of the race? Well, it can be sin in our lives. Sin in our lives is like trying to run this race with shackles on. You just simply really can't do it. You're given all of your might, but it's just bogging you down, and it's hindering you. And so, well, the shackles come off really easy. You just got to repent of it and then move forward. But also, what if you're going to run a race and said, okay, not only do you got to run the race, and you're in pretty good shape, you got to carry this dead body. You know, to, 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 to have to lug a dead body down the track, there's no way that you're going to be able to win doing that. But unfortunately, some of us are carrying a dead body. It's the people who we used to be. We don't run in the race because the devil's pointed that out. We buy into it and we forget that that dead man has been done away with. He's been buried with Christ. And matter of fact, we've been brought into this new life where that dead man doesn't exist anymore. But what do we do? We go out there in the gravesite and we dig him back up. And he stinks and he doesn't look very pretty. And again, he's just that which is dead weight. And we're trying to run the race with this disgusting thing, your old life, your pre-Christian life. And as God has done away with it, and he has considered you to no longer be seen as a sinner, your sins have cast as far away as far as the east is from the west, 
You need to buy into that. You need to believe that. You need to possess that. No longer do I have to be burdened by who I used to be. I have been set free in Christ. And if Christ has set you free, you're free indeed. You're free to run with all of your power. In God's sight, I just point this out because on the door of my office it says, Pastor, God doesn't love me any more than he loves you. God doesn't favor me any more than he favors you. He loves us all the same. He died on the cross and bled for each and every one of us. None of us is more perfect in his sight. None of us are better. None of us run faster. It's just run. Just do what God has called you to do. Do it well and do it with all of your heart. Jesus was raised from the dead so that I would not have to carry any body with me, but I would be even carried by him when it got hard, when it got tough. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, it says, Paul saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I was crucified. Now, Christ was crucified for my sins, and I've been crucified. I died for the old sinner that I was. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And so is all I have to do is make forth the effort, and, and God's going to give me the speed, if you will. He'll give me the endurance, but I have to understand and know that I run in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In this life, I live in the flesh. There's going to be times in the race that we do stumble. There's going to be times when we do fall. But get up, because we live by faith in God who loves us and gave his life for us. If you believe that, if you're able to receive and embrace that, you'll run this race very well. So run the race. Live your life as one who is worthy in the sight of God to receive the prize. Because as all he's ever asked you to do is just get in and compete. Run the race. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for your word that guides us and leads us in this life, especially, Lord, in our Christian life. This message today, it's not really for the unbeliever because the unbeliever isn't even invited into the race. But it's to the born-again believer, Father, that we would enter in and that we would run well, looking at the manual, your word, and seeing, Father, how it is that we are to compete, and then going out there and putting that into operation. And so, Father, I lift up those who are out here this morning. I just pray, Father, that they would seek you out, having their eyes upon the prize of that day that we are in your presence when you crown us with that crown of glory. But until that time comes, I just pray, Father, that we would, we would just run as people who believe these things with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. And so, Lord, we just lift up this day once again, thanking you for it. Father, I pray, take this time right now to pray for our high schoolers who are coming back from retreat. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. I pray, Father, that you have changed them, that they would come back new and renewed in your word. I thank you, Father, for those who faithfully served this week in there and pray, Father, that you would bless them for having done so. But I do pray for our kids that you would change their lives. I thank you, Father, for those here who supported them. We were able to reduce the price of the retreat in half. 
and just pray, Father, that we would understand as we compete in all these areas, so many others are able to partake of the prize as well. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you for all you do and all you continue to do, that you'd be glorified in our humble lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Uh, Couples dinner is still happening February 17th. Most of you know already, but today is going to be the last day, men. um, We're recording just a one-minute little testimony of your marriage, just basically a message to your your wife. It's over there in the high school room. If you don't do it, you're going to be put to shame. So I encourage you to do so. Uh, Again, today is going to be the last day, so if you're able to do it, today would be a good day to get it done. Uh, secondly, tonight we'll be in Second Kings. We'll have a couple up here for prayer. If you want to know more about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can ask the people up here, or I'll be in the back. God bless you guys. I see the works of your hands. Galaxy spirit in a heavenly dance. It's a gentle and thundering noise, oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. I delight myself in you, captivated by your beauty. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. Wonderful. 
Good afternoon. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful weekend. Run that race. God bless you.